When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tonight, we will be joined by Scott Karasik from NFL USA Today's Falcon Wire. Uh, he's going to come on to talk a little NFC South here, give his draft. Divisional grades going to kick off those segments for us uh, coming up over the next month, man. We'll break down each of the NFL divisions, uh, kind of give you the up-to-date look at their roster and what we kind of see moving forward for them uh, leading up to camp starting uh, you know, in a couple, less than a month, I think we already got OTAs going on. And, you know, voluntary workouts is what we got going on right now. But nonetheless, the NFL season is right around the corner. Uh, without further ado, we'll get into that uh, show here with Scott. Um, but before we get into that, man, you know what I got to do. I got to tell you to like, rate, subscribe, and review. Uh, the bosses make me do that. But we appreciate those guys. Um, and we appreciate you guys for listening uh, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Uh, and again, we'll jump right into that uh, you know, show with Scott here to recap the NFC South, uh, talk about what they did in free agency, what they ultimately did in the draft, and we'll slap, of course, some draft grades on those as well, man. Really enjoyed it with Scott here. He stayed uh, stuck around a little longer than we probably should have, both his wife and my fiance not too happy about the case. But nonetheless, we appreciate Scott for joining us, and we appreciate you guys for listening. We'll see you next time here on the NFL Mox Podcast. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, today we kick off our NFL Divisional Draft Review here on the NFL Mox Podcast, which means over the next month we will be joined by an NFL expert from each division to give you, the avid listener, the updated look at each of these rosters as we move ever so closely to that training camp start date. So with that being said, without further ado, ado today we are joined by none other Scott Karasik, uh, Scott's an apologetic Atlanta sports fan that has covered the Falcons everywhere from USA Today all the way to Falcons Central Radio and even over there at Bleacher Report. And I believe you've done a little work for a uh, fan side of Scott back in the day. Scott, thanks for joining us here on NFL Mocks Podcast, my brother. Well, it was it's great being on. I did work for Fanside and I ran uh, Blogging Dirty for a couple months there. That's what I thought. That's what my research told me, Blogging Dirty. 
Uh, I think your last work there was about 130 weeks ago. So it's been a little while, uh, but we appreciate you uh, for coming back here on, uh, you know, a little fan-sided family welcome uh, here on the NFL Mox podcast. So, again, man, we, we already let, let the folks know you are an Atlanta sports fan, apologetic. Um, so kind of walk us into that. How did you get started here uh, in your Atlanta sports fandom? Um, I was born a Falcons fan. My dad's a Falcons fan. His dad was one of the original season ticket holders. His dad used to sit in the rain with, like, Arthur Blank and all them because they all went to the same synagogue. So after Mm. a while, like, I mean, I was five years old when I discovered football, and my favorite player was Jesse Tuggle. So he's he's my all-time favorite player. So when you're like, okay, well, I really like this middle linebacker who plays for my dad's team. I'm just going to be a Falcons fan. I might as well just accept my life now. So I've been a Falcons fan since I was five years old when I discovered football. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think we're 17 episodes. This will be 18 episodes in on the NFL Mox podcast. Uh, That name right there, I've already forgot it, the linebacker there for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Did you say his name was Tuggle? Was that his last name? Yeah, Jesse Tuggle. Yeah, Jesse Tuggle, probably the, the least biggest name we've had dropped here on the NFL Mocks podcast. But I'm going to tell you what, Scott, that automatically tells me, uh, you know, just how in-depth your fandom is here in uh, Atlanta. You know, I lived in Atlanta my whole life, obviously, like we talked pre-show. If you were going to drop a linebacker's name here on the NFL Mocks podcast, I would have assumed it would have just been Keith Brooking. But maybe that's just my shallow knowledge of previous Atlanta Falcons linebackers. So, funny story. I actually watched Keith Brooking when he was playing in college At Georgia Tech. At Tech. My dad was taking me to Georgia Tech games when I was five years old, too. So mm. I was a big Tech, big Falcons fan growing up. I wound up not going to Tech, so for me, college football is all about the draft. Mm. I just watch it to see who plays where, who's going to play where in the future. Because mm. if I sit there and I focus on fanhood on the, on the college game, and then I focus on fanhood on the, on the Falcons, it's you'll, just... Yeah, you'll just be miserable on both ends. I'll be miserable my entire life, and I don't feel like being miserable. So I gave up the college fanhood and was like, you know what? I don't have a college team. I have a pro team. And I'm, I'm ready to be let down by my pro team because they let me down every year, so it's no big deal. Hey, man, you know what? <laughs> shout out to Georgia Tech and shout out to Russell Brand, uh, now RIP, because I'm pretty sure Georgia Tech was the last lone uh, standing member of the Russell jerseys, and now they've switched up to Adidas. Yep. So big things coming for the Georgia Tech football team just based off their uni. So if ever a time to jump on a bandwagon, um, you know, there's not there's a lot of seats there basically still uh, empty on that Georgia Tech bandwagon. Maybe now is the time, if ever, there. Um, but anyways, let's, that's enough wasting enough time about Georgia Tech football and uh, <laughs> our, our own backstories here, Scott. Let's get right into it, starting with kind of an overlook of where these teams were just at the end of this past season. Uh, Just kind of an overview right here for the second season in a row. Obviously, the New Orleans Saints won the division there at 13-3. and Both the Falcons and the Panthers finished at 7-9 and just outside of a playoff spot. Um, Though I think, you know, if we had to really pick on one that was more disappointing in that group, I would have to say the Atlanta Falcons. And then the Bucs wrap up the division at 5-11 and as per usual um, there with a season full of quarterback turmoil uh, with a parade that was Jameis Winston and Fitz Magic. So, Scott, um, let's kind of talk about this division last year. Um, you know, and I think all talks have to begin with your Atlanta Falcons. I feel like, like we said, 
they were a team that truly underperformed this past season, mostly due to injuries there on that defensive side. What say you about where these teams ended up last season here in the NFC South? Well, it wasn't just the defensive injuries that was hurting the Falcons. It was offensive injuries and then a, a huge decline on in play from a couple key members. So their starting right tackle, Ryan Schrader, he went from— Shout out Valdosta potential, State. Valdosta State. But he went from a potential Pro Bowl player um, a couple of years before to a also ran just the guy, like whatever you want to call him. Mm-hmm. He was not good. He got replaced by Tyson Brillo halfway through the season. And then you had Chris Lindstrom, or not Chris Lindstrom, you had um, Brandon Fusco. Wes Schweitzer and Brandon and Fusco. And Wes Schweitzer and Ben Garland and um, Andy Levitri. And those guys just weren't playing the way that they could. And Schweitzer wasn't too bad most of the year. Mm-hmm. The right side was just getting demolished. And as much as I, I'm glad to see Fusco gone because he was just bad all year, and I'm I'm not glad to see Schrader gone because Schrader's one of my favorite stories. Undrafted free agent, played left tackle, moved over to the right side, earned a starting spot after a guy busted and really made up for a bad draft pick. So, like, Schrader to me is, like, that story that you want to see all these guys become, but Mm -hmm. he just didn't have it anymore, which happens to these guys after a certain point. But it was – it made sense to see him gone. So when you you lose three starters on your offensive line Mm – two because of injury, one because of lack of performance, that leads to your quarterback getting hit 43 times in the season, or 42 times in the season, just for sacks, and 104 overall, which is the most in the league by any quarterback. You know, Matt Ryan's definitely, I I feel like, made a concerted effort in the last couple of off-seasons to become a little bit more mobile um, there in the pocket, and I think that's a direct reflection of what he knows uh, is in front of him every Sunday. Like, I mean, we've talked about, uh, obviously, here, we've already laid it out. Uh, Offensive line play has been, uh, you know, a detriment of this team the last couple of seasons. And a lot of it has to do with guard play. um, And like you mentioned, a deteriorated uh, there, Schrader. um, In just a five, you know, fifth season in his career last year, like we said, out of Alasta State, a very, very large man um, at about 6'7", 330 pounds. But he's as stiff as a board there at right tackle, and the, the fact that he's a free agent still to this moment as we speak, we record this podcast here on a Thursday night, um, you know, NFL teams aren't really jumping at the bit to sign this guy. But personally, man, I loved Atlanta's uh, you know roster coming into the season, but obviously we talked about it. You lose Deion Jones and Keanu Neal yep. early in the season, and I mean early. Game two, both of them are out. Um, your defense is obviously going to take a hit, and they were 28th in total defense last year, 25th in points allowed, but man, uh, you know, Scott, you know this better than I do probably. This is a football team that just, you know, a year before last was in top 15 in both of those categories. And yeah, and and we truly, everyone in the NFL circles truly expected this defense to, you know, escalate and take a step forward um, this next season. And it just did, or this past season, and it didn't happen a lot due to injury. So, um, you know, didn't make a lot of moves this offseason or in this draft, really, there on the defensive end. But we'll get more to that later. Um, that's enough about last year's talks. Let's kind of move in uh, to this year's draft and, and, and the, some of the offseason moves these teams have made. Yep. And uh, here's how we're going to do it, listeners. We're going to give you first 
their offseason signings, some of the free agents, uh, some of the bigger names that they've uh, signed this offseason and brought into their camp. Uh, we're not going to give you all the names, just kind of the important ones, and then we'll hit on all the draft picks, and Jake or, uh, Scott and I will give you uh, our you know, grades, if you will. We'll, we'll be nice and judgy on all four of these teams. Uh, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. We're going to start with the division champs, the New Orleans Saints, uh, coming off a historic loss there in the playoffs. And a truly, I mean, a truly historic loss. It's going to change the game forever, um, obviously, with the pass interference uh, penalty change now being able to be reviewed. Um, but some of their offseason signings, uh, they signed Jerry Cook, tight end out of uh, formerly of Oakland, to replace Ben Watson there. They signed Teddy Bridgewater, uh, despite him being offered a lot more money elsewhere. Latavius Murray, uh, former Minnesota Viking, and then Malcolm Brown, a defensive tackle that used to play for the Patriots. Those are the four big names I pulled out of their offseason signings. Uh, Scott, what do you think about what they did this offseason uh, in terms of free agency coming into New Orleans there? Well, just starting with the signing of Malcolm Brown on the defensive side of the ball, because that's the side of the ball I just like better. Um, it was a very brilliant signing, and I hate saying that about the Saints, but it was a smart signing because they needed that nose tackle to play next to Rankins. They needed that guy to play next to Davenport. Cam Jordan's going to do what Cam Jordan does, but they needed that guy in between the other two that could eat up double teams, let them see more one-on-ones, and Malcolm Brown's going to be that kind of guy. Mm. Um, when you have a guy like Malcolm Brown, oh, I just realized this. They've got four first-round picks starting on their defensive line now, too. Yeah. So that makes a big difference in terms of just the overall talent level. Mm-hmm. Davenport definitely deserved to be a first-round pick. He had a somewhat rocky second half of the year, mm-hmm. but I could see Davenport becoming a 10 to 12-sack guy as a, so- as a sophomore this year. Man, you know Malcolm- what? I've... I watched a lot of Marcus Davenport film last year when he was healthy just because I I truly enjoyed watching a 21-year-old man uh, move NFL offensive linemen like they were nothing, like he was back, uh, you know, at UTSA. But, um, you know, the injuries were obviously an issue here. Is he a fully developed pass rusher at this point? No. Um, But I think he's obviously – he makes a drastic impact in the run game. And uh, like you said, I think there's no reason to believe he can't be a 10 to 12 sack guy um, there in New Orleans. And if you compare that with Cam Jordan, you've got a hell of a, a defensive end pass rush there uh, in New Orleans. So I agree with you there. I'm looking for a big sophomore season there for Marcus Davenport. Again, if he can stay healthy, I think the highlight there of Malcolm Brown is an important one. Again, this is a former first-round draft pick, like you mentioned, out of yep. Texas, and a true mountain of a man. Um, he is going to play that traditional shade, allow Sheldon Rankins uh, to get freer there uh, at the three technique in their 4-3 scheme. Um, but a signing I really like, man, is that Latavius Murray signing. Look, Latavius Murray's not someone to write home about. He's never going to win a rushing title or anything like that. But to me, I feel like he completely and wholesomely replaces everything you lost in Mark Ingram, aside from maybe, uh, you know, the team chemistry with him and Alvin Kamara being best friends. So everything that you lost in, in the sense of a hard-nosed uh, early down back in Mark Ingram, I feel like you replace here with Latavius Murray. So I'm pretty fond of that signing. And then, obviously, man, it just kind of speaks to what they've got culture-wise and offensive coordinator-wise and head coaching-wise there in New Orleans for Teddy Bridgewater to turn down multi-million dollar contracts just to stay there and hope that Drew Brees walks away. So I kind of like, uh, you know, what they did this offseason. But let's kind of move right into the draft. And, uh, you know, starting not a lot of picks here, man. Let's count them up. One, two three and four five picks here uh yeah two seventh round picks um out of new orleans 
Um, so not a lot to work with here. We'll start with their second-round pick, Eric McCoy, the center out of Texas A&M. Uh, thoughts on this pick here? So McCoy was probably their best pick, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. He's going to be a 10-year starter at center. He's probably going to start this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they did sign Nick Easton this offseason, but I think Nick Easton's probably going to be more of that center guard backup on game day. Mm-hmm. And Andrews Pete gets injured too often. Larry Warford gets injured too often. He's going to play a lot more than people realize. Mm-hmm. So they needed that good interior backup for all three spots, and that's what Easton can be. Um, this year, they're really not paying him that much mm-hmm. to where next year when his contract does come up as a potential option situation, they can get rid of Easton pretty easily. So McCoy should start there at center. Um, and he's, again, the best pick that they have, and he should really solidify that offensive line once he gets his um, everything going and really replace Max Unger. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, that's, that's huge loss right there. Max Unger stepping away for retirement, obviously. Um, and I think you're right. I think you get your immediate starter right there at the center position in Eric McCoy. To me, man, you know, started 38 straight games in the SEC. He is coming out as a redshirt junior. But, again, man, he's only 21 years old. So a guy that's going to start day one um, and should start for a, a, the foreseeable future there in New Orleans. So I'm, I'm fond of the pick here, uh, their first pick there at pick 48. And then, uh, you know, got fourth-round pick at 105 there in Chauncey Gardner, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, excuse me, the safety out of Florida. Man, this is a guy that was absolutely loved um, by everyone on social media and Twitter. And then we get to draft day, and he slides all the way uh, to here at pick 105 in the fourth round, uh, most likely because of some in- inconsistency issues there at Florida in terms of his tape. Um, you know, his junior tape, you see a guy that's willing uh, as a tackler. And then his senior year, he kind of fades away from it. So falls all the way down here at fourth. I think this is kind of a uh, what we call a daddy hack swing right here uh, at the top of the fourth round. Uh, Scott, I think they just took a shot at a guy who has a, a lot of upside here in their defensive backfield. But Chauncey Gardner-Johnson slipped for some probably reasonable reasons there. What are your thoughts? I think the reasons why he slipped is because people don't know where to project him. They don't know whether he's a corner or a safety, yeah. and that kind of threw him off. But I kind of equate his fall to that of Devontae Freeman's. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a longtime contributor to the Saints. I'm going to hate seeing him in black and gold for a long time because he's going to be that good. Where Von Bell and you know Marcus Williams and Lattimore, yeah. those guys are going to be the people people talk about. Gardner Johnson could wind up starting at corner. He could wind up starting at strong safety. He could start at free safety. He could be the nickel. I mean, I honestly think that's where they start him out this year is they put him in the nickel because P.J. Williams just isn't good. <laughs> and Chauncey Gardner Johnson is. And I know he's a he's drafted around later and four years after P.J. Williams, but we know that P.J. Williams is a scrub. So if we already know that Williams is a scrub, why do we need to worry about whether he can hold off Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in that nickel role. They drafted a guy to be a starter. They didn't draft this guy to be a backup. Yeah. Another guy that I I think that, you know, they went with another guy here in the sixth uh, round, pick 177 in Saquon Hampton, who played safety in in college there at Rutgers. But similar to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, I think he goes through a position change day one in the NFL, um, probably doesn't have the foot speed or the, you know, the ability to flip his hips and cover well enough to stick his safety, I think he becomes more of, you know, like we're talking about, kind of a slot linebacker, a guy that plays, you know, close yep. to the ball, but not necessarily in the box. Um, I think that's who Saquon Hampton is. 
And man, you're talking about taking big swings. Saquon well, Hampton. That's how they use. That's how they use Von Bell. So yeah, that's I mean, a perfect backup. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, they're kind of clogging the room up there in the defensive backfield. But again, man, I think they 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 took a real high value pick here. Um, you know, it is a but lot of. Here's the thing: Are up? they really? Are they really clogging the room up? Chris Banjo's a backup. Ricky Jefferson's a backup. JT Gray's a backup. Mm-hmm. Those guys are scrubs. Yeah. So they got Vaughn Bell and Marcus Williams. Those are their starters. Mm-hmm. So they have a guy in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson who could be a depth guy behind Marcus Williams, which is smart. Mm-hmm. And they got Saquon Hampton, who's the depth guy behind Vaughn Bell. They're not really clogging the room up. They're picking yeah. their long-term backups who can be cheap. No, I feel you. And, I mean, you know Hampton's going to help you out a lot in the special teams game. At least you exactly. should expect that. Um, from a sixth-round pick. But, again, man, this is a guy who had had great production his first two years in college, and then his, you know, sophomore year he goes down with a shoulder injury, and then his junior year he hurts his other shoulder. So he's had double uh, shoulder surgery here. That's probably why he slipped all the way down to the sixth round. And then round seven, man, they take a tight end out of Notre Dame, uh, Elise Mack, and then the linebacker Kay Nellis out of Idaho, excuse me, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you until I watch, tell you I watched a lot of Idaho football, so I don't have much on Caden Ellis. Uh, Elise Mack, they're, uh, you know, a pick and, you know, what do they call it, a pick and pluck tight end there, um, kind of a long-bodied guy, not really an end-of-the-line line of scrimmage tight end. So let's break it down. Scott, give me the grade here for the New Orleans Saints draft. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about Mack and Ellis. Come on. Because Mac is a solid all-around tight end. Mm-hmm. When he plays out of the slot, he yeah. kind of fits that big slot that they like to use their tight ends at. Yeah. So when you look at Jared Cook, Elise Mack is basically the same kind of guy. Most definitely. Cade Nellis, I had a undraftable grade on. I don't know why they took him, but I mean, Coach's if they want to waste son, the that's pick, why. I mean, yeah, if they want to waste the pick, they can waste the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I had him undraftable grade. He's a good athlete, but athleticism only does so much. But, yeah. again, they needed depth at linebacker. So, I'll probably be their backup middle linebacker behind Anzalone and be that perfect fit for them there. And if I had to give them a grade, they only had five picks. Yeah. So, you don't expect a lot of good to come out of the five picks. But, overall, they addressed depth in the second day, which is what the second day is – or the third day, which is what the third day is about. They got a starter on the second day. Yeah. So, when you look at it just – Overall, if all these picks hit, it's easily a B. But because all these picks aren't going to hit, it's a C. Yeah, I gave it a B minus here, um, and I'm I'm in a similar sentiment as you. Uh, obviously, with these five picks, no pick, or, you know, four of those five picks coming after pick 105 there at Chauncey Gardner Johnson in the fourth round. I think, like you said, they filled some needs. Uh, they took some big shots on some guys that may have some high upside. Um, so for me, I give it a B minus, and, and and for the main reason. I would have loved to see them maybe instead of, you know, both Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Saquon Hampton, maybe take one of the other. Um, and the fourth-round pick there, probably spend it on a wide receiver. I still think you need to give Malcolm Thomas some help there. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr. is not a viable second receiver there um, in New Orleans. So I'm not high on that wide receiver room. But you know what? Sean Payton seems, and, and Drew Brees for that matter, seem to make – uh, winners out of out of total and complete strangers and losers. So maybe they know a little bit more than I do. Um, but for right now, I'm giving it a B minus, and uh, Scott's giving it a C here. So I think that's relatively fair. I think that's relatively fair. All right, let's move on to your Atlanta Falcons, um, and this is a guy or a team that you should be all over. And we'll start. Oh, yeah. We'll start with the free agency moves, man. And in classic Atlanta sports fashion, 
Uh, the Falcons didn't spend a lot of, t- uh, you know, a ton of money on big name free agents this summer. Uh, and again, not no Atlanta sports team ever uh, or rarely seemingly does. So, you know, got a couple guards here and there. J.J. Wilcox comes home to Georgia and a backup tight end pretty much there to uh, back up Austin Hooper. Uh, did you expect anything less uh, th- from that, uh, from the Falcons this offseason, Scott? Well, I expected him to sign a starter or two on the offensive line, which I think they signed a starter, whether it's James Carpenter or Jamon Brown. Yeah, they'll or, fight for left guard. They'll figure it out. Yeah, they're, they're going to be one of those guys is going to end up starting. And then at tight end, Stocker and Paul, Paulson are both legitimately the blocking tight ends, and one yeah. of them's going to play fullback. So this is your Toilolu from a couple years ago. Basically, yeah. basically the same kind of guy. and But because Dirk Cutter runs a lot more two tight end sets mm-hmm. and a lot less of that having a fullback on the field, having an actual fullback on the roster may be something the Falcons don't do in 2019. So it may open up a spot for a fourth running back like Quadri Allison or a, you know, a fourth tight end like Logan Paulson, Eric Sobert, and Luke Stocker to all make the team. So it just really depends on what happens in camp and as to, as far as who sticks. But overall, free agency was what it was. And then on the defensive line, they spent a lot of signings on just basically base defense guys, Tyler Davidson, Rashid yeah. Hageman. Um, you know, Stephen Means brought him back. They brought back Adrian Claiborne. That whole defensive line in the base defense is probably going to look completely different than it did last year. But overall, it should be a better defense than it was last year because you are getting back again i'm going to count these guys as free agent signings because they didn't play most of the year or they didn't play all the year you get back keanu neal you get back ricardo allen you get back Deion jones and i think people underrate the impact that ricardo allen has on this defense Mm. he's the quarterback in the on the defense he makes sure everybody's lined up right he makes sure everybody's doing everything the way they're supposed to and then an interesting fact for the falcons defense is all the projected starters right now Mm. are drafted by the team Wow. Easley, Sanat, Jarrett, McKinley, all drafted by the Falcons. Campbell, Jones, and Aluakon, all drafted by the Falcons. Trufant, Neal, Allen, and Oliver, again, all drafted by the Falcons. Even the nickel, DeMonte Casey, was drafted by the Falcons. So, mm-hmm. overall, it's a team that is built through the draft, which has only helped them grow and become more cohesive as a unit. So, when you are missing one or two of those key pieces, you lose a lot of what you have with yeah. that cohesion, with that chemistry on defense. No, I totally, I totally understand. As someone who, you know, obviously played football for quite a long time, I understand the cohesiveness is what you're talking about. The multiple reps over and over again, knowing exactly yep. what the guy behind you is going to do without having to ask him or, uh, you know, wonder uh, throughout the play. So just being able to play full speed uh, and with full confidence of knowing that your teammate's going to do their job while you're executing yours uh, is very, very important, especially uh, on defense. Um, so let's get into these draft picks, man. And we'll obviously start in the first round there at pick 14. Chris Lindstrom comes off the board, the guard out of Boston College. Um, yep. Well, let's just list them, and then I'll come back and kind of hit some questions on these first two picks um, that I've got for you. They trade back into the first round for Caleb McGarry there at pick 31. Uh, and then in the fourth round, that's their next pick. They're at pick 111. They take Kendall Sheffield, cornerback out of Ohio State. In the fourth round, they pick up defensive end John Kaminsky and then um, get out of Charleston University, man. And that's in West Virginia. You heard that right. 
uh, not Carolina. So that's pretty uh, small school right there. And then round five, they grab, like you mentioned, Quadri Wilson, the running back out of Pitt. And then uh, Jordan Miller, cornerback out of Washington, man, is an ideal Dan Quinn, long and sticky corner. And then round six, uh, they grab Marcus Green, cornerback out of ULM. So let's kind of go back to these two first-round picks, man. I'm fond of the Chris Lindstrom pick. As someone who studied the draft, knew who these guys were, he is the best outside zone available guard in this draft. So you take him there at 14 because you don't quite know if he's going to be available when you ultimately do trade back up there at 31. So I'm okay with the first one. I'm not so hot on the second one, but we'll get to that. Give me your opinions on Chris Lindstrom, guard out of Boston College there, Scott. So the Falcons were picking at 14 and 45 initially. Mm -hmm. I had Chris Lindstrom as more of a uh, 40-ish kind of player. So I was like, well, Lindstrom will probably fall to the second-round pick. He'll be the second-round pick. When he was the first-round pick, I was like, all right, well, it's a little bit of a reach, but the fit makes sense. The Chris Lindstrom pick should bring a lot of Falcons fans back. So when they drafted Keanu Neal in the first round, and everybody was like, oh, man, Keanu Neal's a second-round talent. What are they doing? But we all saw how that worked out because there was one defensive coordinator, one defensive guy who could draft Keanu Neal and get the most out of him, and that's Dan Quinn. Yeah. Well, I think if there's one team that can get the most out of Chris Lindstrom, who just has the right fit, mm-hmm. it's that Chris Morgan offensive line where that's outside zone yeah. 80% of the time, and you've got Chris Lindstrom there. And I'm going to jump into Caleb McGarry as well. Both Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry played – zone-blocking offenses Mm -hmm. in college. Both of them played in places where they had to have a lot of pass block reps, too. Mm -hmm. And I think both Lindstrom and McGarry showed that they're talented as pass blockers. Now, when you put them together on the right side and you actually coach them to play together, that's where the question's going to be. But they already seem like they're becoming best of friends, which is exactly what you want from the right side of the line to protect Matt Ryan. You want those guys to be best friends and, like, name kids after each other and like that's that's what you want yeah so mcgarry i understand the qualms about him yeah i had a mid-second round pick on him because i thought his technique needed work but then i sat there and i watched it with a buddy of mine who coaches offensive line and he was like oh all these guys are coached this way yeah so i was like i have to look at this again and they're all coached the same way at washington they're all coached to have that like shoulder square to the line they're all coached to have their hips kind of how do I put this? Not really set towards the line, but like to yeah. where they're like staggered. Like it's basically wrestling stances. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how else to explain it. They're all in basic, basically wrestling stances. And when I look at that, I'm like, oh, these guys are coached that way. So that means this guy takes coaching. Yeah. Because he's playing it the way his coaches want him to play it. Look, I understand. Even though his coach is an idiot. Yeah. He's playing it the way his coaches want him to play it. No, I totally so, understand that like McGarry is like, he's a nasty dude, right? And he's well coached and all that. Or he's, you know, at least coachable. He's far from well coached, but he's at least coachable. But here's my thing, Scott. I don't ever see Caleb McGarry having the fluidity as a, just in terms of a, a pure athlete. I know he tested fairly well just in terms of straight line speed and a little bit of uh, cone work there at the combine. But when I turn on the tape of Caleb McGarry, I see an extremely tight-hipped athlete. And to be honest with you, man, I don't ever know. I, I don't truly know if he'll ever be, like, 100% effective uh, in stretch reaching outside zone technique defensive ends. That's, that's my, uh, you know, quandary about him. I know he'll be able to sit there and pass protect well at 6'7", 315 pounds or whatever the monster is. 
that he is there out of Washington. But again, man, when I turned on Caleb McGarry tape, you can check out my Twitter. It's one of the most recent videos I put out. Uh, man, I saw plays against Joey Bosa uh, and, and guys out there at Ohio State in the Rose Bowl where he's literally falling on his face in space because uh, he can't quite keep his feet underneath him. So I'm not. Did he play Bosa when he was a sophomore, though? I think he did. I, I know he was young. So, I, mean, I understand. That's not, that's I, I not get the it, man. Best comparison for what he is now. I understand. But what I'm telling you is I, I still know <laughs> I still know for a fact he's a tight-hipped athlete. And as a off, former offensive lineman, I don't see a guy who successfully will outside zone reach in the NFL, okay? Um, and, and we can, you know, agree to disagree here, um, and we'll, and we'll let me, revisit Let me just go over one thing with you real quick. Mm-hmm. Athletically, I run numbers based on how they perform at the combine. And he performed very comparably. Very well. To a guy by the name of Jason Spriggs, who is a very good athlete. Now, Spriggs is an idiot when it comes to technique and he isn't coachable. He also compared very favorably to a guy by the name of Jake Matthews. Mm. I'm going to tell and you. And he compared favorably to Jared Veldier. Man, Jake, Jake Matthews, so, I remember watching Texas AM, Jake Matthews. I thought that dude was going to walk in and be a day one all pro. Um, that we, We're talking two different types of athletes in my mind, bro. Um, well, then look at Jared Veldier. Look okay. at Jared Veldier. He's very similar to Veldier in terms of build, terms of arm length, in terms of everything. Veldier's a damn good player. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this or not. Nah, but you're good. Veldier's, the, uh, a, Veldier's a damn good player. He, he used his technique, he used his power, and he figured out how to set the way that worked for his hips. Because mm-hmm. Veldier doesn't have great hips either. But he figured out what works for him. And I think that's what McGarry is going to be able to do in the pros when he gets good coaching, which he obviously did not have at Washington. You know what, man? Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with a little disagreement. It, it means at least we've got something to revisit here in a couple of years. Oh, of course. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, with you living so close, uh, maybe we can put a dinner on it or something. Um, sounds good to me. Sounds good to me because uh, – you know, I'm I'm just out. I'm out on the Caleb McGarry. I would have been I would have been there with the right expectations, like you said, with like a mid to late second round pick. I think I would have been okay with that. But but here's the thing: a mid to late second round pick on Caleb McGarry in Atlanta, he's still yeah. starting day one. Oh, he's still, right still for sure. But again, I it, it, he no made, one's expecting an All Pro. They want a guy who's going to start there for okay. five years and put his business together and keep Matt Ryan upright and allow maybe three sacks all year. That's what they want. They see, want basically what Schrader was in his prime. See, my and thing, I think he could be Schrader or Veldier. I think that's kind of the guy he has to model himself like. Because if he does, he's going to be one hell of a right tackle. And he may not get the accolades that some of these guys do. And Lindstrom may be an all-pro guard where McGarry's like, you know, above average NFL right tackle. Mm-hmm. That's all the Falcons need from him, though. They just need him to be an above average right tackle. Because if yeah. he's an above-average right tackle and Lindstrom's an all-pro and Max an all-pro and Matthews is an all-pro, the rest of the line comes together just fine. Yeah, to me, man, if you're going to spend a 31 overall pick and only expect five good years or decent years there at the right tackle position, I would have rather seen, you know, maybe a Jawan Taylor come off the board, even with his medical concerns. Because like you said, you're only expecting uh, apparently five to six years of solid play there at right tackle, which I know Jawan Taylor is going to give Jacksonville there, um, despite the knee injuries or concerns um, that nobody apparently knew about going into the draft except for NFL <laughs> teams. So let's kind of slap a grade on it here, Scott, and I'll give you mine first. 
Um, if I were to give it, you know, a zero to a hundred, I'd give it about an 84. I mean, right there in a dead B range. Again, man, I, I think they had the right intentions with taking an offensive line early in this draft. I just think the execution was a little bit off. And that's my opinion there at the 31 pick in Caleb McGarry. Um, and again, with, with tackles like Jawan Taylor or even a Dalton Reisner, if you want to take nasty, take nasty with what I think on film uh, shows a little bit more athleticism, despite both of them being pretty stiff-hipped. Um, but who you got, or what's your grade here for your Atlanta Falcons? I mean, I'm going to go with a C here as well, because while I like the first two picks a lot, you don't like they what both, they did late. I don't think the value was great. Mm-hmm. And I think late, they probably could have focused another pick towards the defensive line, mm-hmm. bringing in another defensive tackle. Because, again, you can't really rely on Davison or Hageman to really be that impact guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe Hageman gets it all together and he looks like 2016 playoff Hageman, and I look like an idiot. I would rather look like an idiot saying, you know what, I don't know about Hageman versus, oh, yeah, Hageman's going to be this great. No. Hageman right now might as well get cut, and I won't care either way. But if he does turn into 2016 playoff Hageman, the Falcons have probably one of the more dangerous defensive lines up front. Because if he's playing that way, that means Beasley's also playing that way. And Jarrett's playing that way. Well, Jarrett's probably playing better than that. But McKinley gets it together, too. And overall, that line turns into what their potential looks like. And if that line can turn into what their potential looks like, that's a dangerous defensive line. It's a very dangerous defensive line in the NFL. But I think I would have rather seen another pick, you know, in the in the fourth round where they took Sheffield. Mm-hmm. I would have rather them see I would have rather seen them go like Rennell Wren or Greg Gaines or someone along those lines or Kingsley Kiki, yeah. um, cohort Daylon Mack, a menu. I mean I could go on and on. There's a lot of guys in this draft that are really good that they could have taken to improve their defense. All right, so that's back-to-back C's for you on both New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons. That's a B-minus for me on the Saints and just a a regular old average B uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. Let's talk about a a team right here in the Carolina Panthers who I thought had a very interesting draft, um, but we'll talk about their free agency signing first. Um, They signed the center Matt Paradis there out of Denver, and they lose Thomas Davis, Devin Funches, and Matt Khalil. Also brought in Chris Hogan and Bruce Irvin. Some, some you know, pretty big names, but uh, some guys that are on their back end, of well past their back end of their career. Um, thoughts on the limited offseason moves here for Carolina? They didn't lose anything when yeah, they with lost those, Matt Yeah, with Khalil. those names. They didn't lose anything in a retiring. Yeah. Well, not really retiring, but like basically should have been retiring. Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis. They didn't really lose anything in Ryan Khalil because he was like 37 years old and he was retiring. And they replaced Khalil with a guy who I compared to Khalil when he was coming out in the draft in Paradise. Mm -hmm. And he's played like Ryan Khalil his entire career. Yeah, and he got paid. He got paid like a Khalil brother too. I'll tell you that right now. Well, he deserved to get paid like a Khalil brother. He's the top five center in the league. And Mm -hmm. he's going to keep being a top five center in the league. The smartest thing they did though was they – drafted a left tackle, but we'll get to that later because it'll let them put Moton at left guard. It'll let them put Paradis at center. Trey Turner's an all-pro. And then Daryl Williams shouldn't be an all-pro, but he's at least a serviceable, above-average right tackle. He's basically what the Falcons want McGarry to turn into. But let's just keep going here. I'm sniffing, um, I'm sniffing a disagreement coming our way. You mentioned a left okay. tackle. 
I did mention a left tackle, and I, I think that he is a good left tackle. But let's look more into their office offseason moves. They signed Bruce Irvin mm-hmm. to give them an edge rusher, a very solid edge rusher right now, um, and who's going to complement their big men in the middle, Poe, Butler, and Short, who are a three-man wrecking crew in the middle. Yeah, And then, obviously, Thompson and Keith. Thompson and Keekley are probably the best linebacking combination in the league. Mm-hmm. If I'm just being honest here, they like Keekley is a top five linebacker when he's not concussed. And Shaq Thompson, and then Shaq Thompson is. Oh, I think he's probably higher than that. Maybe okay. top fifteen. All right. But as far as an outside linebacker, a coverage linebacker, he's right up there in the top yeah. ten of Keekley. So they've got two top ten coverage style linebackers, and obviously up there you're going to have like Bobby Wagner and mm-hmm. Eon Jones and yeah. a whole bunch of other guys. The issue with the with the Panthers is they needed defensive backs. And they didn't bring in any. No. So All I don't right. know what they're doing there. Let's let's get into this draft, man. The first pick or first round, they're pick seventeen. They take Brian Burns, the edge rusher out of Florida State, and then apparently your guy there in the second round, pick thirty seven, with Greg Little, offensive tackle out of Ole Miss. Third round, they come back with Will Greer there at pick one hundred. Uh, in the fourth round, they pick up Christian Miller, edge rusher out of Alabama who's kind of, you know, just a, a poor man's Brian Burns, if you will, just a primarily he's more, edge he's rusher. He's more physical than Burns. Yeah, well, slightly, more than slightly Burns. more physical, but still he's both. He's like a run game Burns. If yeah, you if you were. I mean, just maybe a rich man's run game, poor man's pass game uh, there yeah. from Christian Miller. Uh, pretty much what I've got there in my notes, too. And then in rounds five, six, and seven, I think they did a little bit of good work there in round six with Dennis Daly, offensive tackle out of South Carolina. Um, but we'll get in, yeah, I, we'll get in a little bit more there. Uh, good depth there in, in, in rounds five, six, and seven. Um, so let's kind of highlight some picks here. And I think our disagreement is going to come from Greg Little. I didn't like the pick there at 37. Um, what were your thoughts? I thought it was about time they actually showed that they gave a damn about yeah, Cam Newton's Cam protection. Newton. And they said, you know what? Let's get a left tackle in Greg Little. Mm-hmm. I get some people aren't going to like him. Some people aren't going to love what he is as a player, but – Greg Little is a starting left tackle. That's mm-hmm. how he profiles in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Moton showed that he can't play left tackle in the NFL. He should play left guard. So I think as long as you can have four very good to Pro Bowl level guys and Moton, Paradis, Turner, and Williams, mm-hmm. you can get away with a left tackle who at first may not look great but has all the tools and all the physical tools to be a great NFL player. And I think that's Greg Little. I think he's got the tools to be – a great NFL player, even yeah. though his technique right now just flat out sucks. Yeah, I just see a um, dis like a disinterested athlete. Let me ask you this, Scott. I, I know I you're think if you were playing for Hugh Freeze yeah, and then that's your what coach I, got I, yeah. fired, he'd be a disinterested athlete too. I was just going to ask you, Scott. You remember Greg Little coming out of high school, don't you? Oh yeah. Do you think he's a better or worse football player four years after three years there at Ole Miss or four years, however many it was? I think he's literally the same because yeah. as a freshman. He had Hugh Freeze, and then it looks like the last two years he didn't. Mm-hmm. I think if Freeze really got his got to mold him and make him the guy he was, mm-hmm. he we're, we're talking about him like he's Larry Laramie Tunstall's part two. Yeah, without the bong video. Um, well, probably still with the bong video, but I mean <laughs> Laramie Tunstall part two. I like it. Um, no, nah, but I, again, man, I here, here's my thing. If you're gonna you know value. Uh, a guy there at 37. I know they're athletes, and, and you know, like you said, left tackle is a primary uh, position of need there. But, again, man, I, I really question and worry 
about the guys, you know, want to and drive. And that's hard to do as a scout who doesn't know, uh, you know, Greg Little or anything like that. But when you look on tape, and again, he just seems completely disinterested for the last, you know, half uh, of his college career. And even at that point, I know you're going through turmoil and changes uh, in coaching staffs, but nonetheless, you can at least put, you know, some genuine effort on the tape. And when I don't see that, I genuinely question, uh, you know, your want to at the offensive line position because, man, it's a car wreck every single damn play in the NFL. You're going to get your brains beat in for the, for, for the foreseeable future. And if you don't truly want to do that, what? What's up? I don't think it was a want to issue. I think it was more of a he was just lost. He went from a good coach, a guy who knew how to coach offensive linemen, a guy who knew how to grow offensive linemen, to a guy who has no idea what he's doing coaching college football. But his offensive line coach that he went there to play for and played his first two years in Matt Luke became his head coach. So I don't understand the disconnect. I understand that Matt Luke's not qualified to be the head coach there, and Ole Miss kind of took a step down after Hugh Freeze left. But I, I know Matt Luke. I, I've talked to Matt Luke. I've, I've gone through his coaching clinics. He's not a terrible offensive line coach, and he was Greg Little's offensive line coach the first two years there at Ole Miss. So I, I guess we're, again, we're, we knew it was going to be a disagreement here with Greg Little. I think there's a disconnect in uh, both no. of what we think here. All right. So, again, I don't think that it's the issue that he didn't know what he was doing. I think the real thing was that he just – he didn't have the time to focus on the offensive line. He didn't have the time to focus on guys like Greg Little to really put the time in and develop him. He yeah. was more focused on coaching the entire team, coaching everybody there. And when you're coaching the whole team, you can't focus on, you know, your big five-star linemen that your job really is to coach. Yeah. So as the head coach, he, was, he wasn't doing anybody a service. He was, he wasn't doing Greg Little so that way because he wasn't coaching him. So I'm not saying Matt Luke's incompetent. I'm saying Matt Luke couldn't put the time in to develop yeah. the guy. So the guy wouldn't develop right. Well, that's, I mean, that's fair. Again, man, we're, we'll revisit both of these. And it seems like our disagreements come at the tackle position. Um, but I, I, I might sniff another disagreement here. What were your thoughts of Brian Burns there at 16? Oh, I thought that was a brilliant pick for the, the Panthers. I don't think he's the right guy for the Falcons because mm. a lot of Falcons fans are like, oh, let's get Brian Burns. He's the right pass rusher. You already have Brian Burns on the roster. His name's Vic Beasley. Yeah. I think the Panthers needed a guy like him. I think they needed a, a guy who could rush from the right side, be the left tackle with speed, kind of wear him down throughout the game, and then take their fourth-round pick, Christian Miller, and have him rotate in and be that power guy and have kind of like a – like, you know, they have Thunder and Lightning running back. Yeah. Thunder and Lightning defensive end attacking the, the left tackle and Miller and Burns and just let them just beat up on the guy all day. And after a while, a left tackle gets tired. A left yeah. tackle gets bored. A left tackle sees the same moves over and over again. And he uses the same move 10 times and he's a different move the 11. He's going to not expect it and you're going to get a sack. So I think those two guys are going to be very good together, rotating in at the same spot. And I think that's what the plan is. They want Miller to be more of that base guy, Burns to be more of that nickel guy, and let them rotate in together and really get it going. Yeah, I, I've always questioned Brian Burns, uh, you know, from you know even from the start of this process in the draft period, because um, I, I do value the ability to set the edge at the defensive end position. Um, and, and the reason being, uh, if Bill Belichick values setting the edge, I think we probably should all value setting the edge 
Um, that's just my opinion, and I could be completely wrong on that. Uh, but to me, man, setting the edge in the run game is so, so important in the NFL. And if you can't do that, that means you can't play the first two downs. And Vic Beasley, uh, we've kind of seen him rotate in and out there in Atlanta because he's failed to do so. He gets run in the run game. I think that's why they took Kaminsky in Atlanta to play that yeah. strong side end in those first and second downs. And on passing downs, on the, the second and long, third and longs, throw Beasley out there and let Beasley just kind of hunt. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Beasley does, does his best anyway. Yeah. But to me, man, draft, I mean, drafting Vic Beasley Jr. here at 16, I know there wasn't really – uh, a defensive end there available uh, with the caliber of Brian Burns there at 16 um, because, you know, in, in most mock drafts and in, in probably every situation that Carolina's uh, general management staff ran through in pre-draft, I guarantee you in about 95% of them, Cleveland Farrell was available here at 16. And to me, man, that is the, you know, safest pick in terms of a 4-3 defensive end because I know he can do all those things even though I do know he's limited in the pass, uh, you know, getting after the passer. Um, but, you know, I knew we were going to disagree a little bit there. Let's get to the grade, man, before we move on to the Bucks, Give me your grade on the Carolina Panthers draft. I think they got a solid seat. They got a lot of depth on the third day. Again, that's what the third day is about. They got a backup quarterback who kind of profiles similarly to Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much as, a, as far as, as a runner, but as far as everything else. As far as the way he does his passing game, the kind of overshooting, overthrowing kind of passes, you'll see that from Greer sometimes because he's going to go big or go home. And that's what Cam Newton does. Cam Newton's going for the big shot or he's just done. So I think having that combination of both guys really, really helps out. Greg Little, I think, starts at left tackle day one. I think it just kind of sets their lineup. And worst case scenario from Greg Little is you basically got Sam Baker. You got a guy who's a serviceable left tackle. And as long as he stays healthy, you can win with him. He's not going to be the, the best in the league, but if you throw a chip his way, you'll be, you'll be fine. And then, uh, you know, the defense. I think the defense as a whole, you needed some pass rushers. They don't have a lot of depth, though, and they need to fix their secondary. But, I mean, as a whole, the draft did well to, to help them solve some of their problems, which was depth on the offensive line, starters on the offensive line. You know, a quarterback who can come in and actually play behind Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another running back for the backups. I think overall it's a much better team this year than it was last year. And there's going to be a tough team to face for a lot of people. So overall it'll be. I think I give them a C- minus here. And, uh, again, it's a lot of disagreement here, and it's the first three picks. The three picks that you love, you love the Brian Burns pick, you love the Greg Little pick, and it seems to me that you like the Will Greer pick. Uh, there at pick 100, uh, to me, man, I'm not, I'm not here to draft my backup quarterback in the third round. I know it was good positional value. Uh, you know, some people thought Will Greer could sneak up there into the late first round just for that fifth-year option on the rookie quarterback contract. Um, but to me, man, I think the Carolina Panthers, like you mentioned, um, have a lot more other holes, especially defensively in that, uh, you know, defensive back group. So here at pick 100, I think there was some very, you know, good value in terms of DBs available there, um, there at pick 100. And again, man, if you want a backup, if Cam, to, to me, man, if Cam Newton gets hurt in, the, in game five anyways, your season's in the, in the shitter anyways. It's, it's down the train. He's starting the season hurt. Um, yeah. starting the season hurt. I, for the second year in a row with uh, a shoulder issue and it coming off a shoulder surgery, again, for the second season in a row. But um, I, I'm out on the Greg Little pick for all things we've talked about. I don't think Brian Burns 
is a you know a three down defensive end day one in the NFL, and nor do I believe he's going to hold two fifty seven. Uh, that way he showed up at the combine. No. Um, so, you know, Vic Beasley, great comp there uh, for Brian Burns. And to me, man, that's not, uh, you know, <laughs> the greatest, uh, you know, look ahead. But, you know, to me, I think they saved. If, if there's any good news here, I love that Dennis Daly pick there in the sixth round. I think Dennis Daly can be one day a potential starter in the NFL at the tackle position. It's probably not going to be a left tackle like he played at South Carolina. Um, but it's probably going to be there at right tackle in Carolina, and I think he fights for it um, eventually. It may not be immediately, but I think that guy gets playing time, if not as a swing tackle. What are your thoughts on Daly out of South Carolina? Oh, I like Daly. Daly definitely was a guy that I looked at as as a swing tackle um, more than anything else. He's a very good football player. He played left tackle. He did play a little bit of right tackle as like Mm -hmm. a freshman, um, but he wasn't fully in South Carolina as a freshman either. So. I thought he held his. I, I thought he more than held his own against Cleveland Farrell all those years he played him uh, there at Clemson. So, um, oh, yeah. I'm I'm here for the daily pick again. There's a guy who got a ton of reps there in the SEC uh, at left tackle and a little bit as you mentioned at right tackle. Let's get into these bucks uh, and then we'll wrap up for the night. Okay, Scott. Sounds good. All right, man. So some free agency moves or lack thereof that they uh, made this past offseason. They let Deshaun Jackson, Quan Alexander, Adam Humphreys. Ryan Fitzmagic, Vin Curry, and most likely Brent Grimes all go from last year's roster. And then they sign a punter whose name I've seemed to have forgotten already, Shaq Barrett from Denver, and then Deion Buchanan, a linebacker there from Arizona, to match him back up with uh, their new head coach there in Tampa. Um, So what what are your kind of thoughts of their limited moves uh, here in Tampa during free agency? I think they have a very smart free agency, a very simple. Yeah, you know, don't you don't pay for you don't overpay for Quan or Adam Humphreys. Those are two guys that yep. are you know you knew you were going to have to pay an astronomical amount of money at least for their value. Um, you know, Quan Alexander got what plus seventy plus million there. I think Adam Humphreys is getting around like nine and a half or ten and a half million dollars a year, which is insane for Adam Humphreys. But go ahead, sorry. No, I'm, I'm with you. None of the guys that they let go were important. Mm-hmm. None of the guys that they let go were going to be impactful in any way um, for them this year with a new coach, with a new coaching staff. The smart thing they did this offseason was re-sign Ali Marpet, uh, starting left, left guard for them. They re-signed Donovan Smith. Mm-hmm. They brought, you know, Ryan Jensen there. So when they've got Smith, Marpet, and Jensen, that's the left side of your line that's going to have to protect Jameis Winston, your franchise quarterback. And then on offense, they only made one pick, which is astounding to me. Mm-hmm. But they also were smart on defense in that they kept Gerald McCoy. They kept Jason Pierre-Paul. Despite the scheme switch, they're keeping these guys because there's a better fit for them in this new scheme. Yeah. Where McCoy is going to play a, a three. They is going to play a one. And I think JPP can play that strong side six that uh, Todd Bowles likes to run with. No, that offset three four. I think those are all you know solid points. I, I mean, keeping all those guys. My my philosophy in terms of defensive linemen, uh, especially and even offensive linemen to an extent, you can never have enough big dudes, man, and and good big dudes. And I think Tampa held on to all their uh, big guys there in the middle. But let's kind of move into this draft, man. They had eight total picks, which is a little bit more uh, than any other team here in the NFC South. 
Uh, so let's take a look at it. You know, the first round pick there at five overall, they take Devin White. Uh, second round pick, they take there at pick number 39, Sean Bunting, cornerback out of Central Michigan. Third round, they got picks 94 and 95. Uh, they come back with DBs again there with uh, a corner, Jamel Dean out of Auburn, ran a 4-3 at the combine, and then safety Mike Edwards out of Kentucky. Uh, so they take a combine guy, you know, a combine guy there, and then a career totals guy there in the third round. And then in the fourth round, there at pick 107, it's Anthony Nelson out of Iowa, and then rounds five, six, and seven. Uh, they take a kicker, some dude named Scott Miller, who sounds like a really good accountant, and then Terry Beckner, defensive tackle out of Mizzou. Uh, so I guess let's start at one. Your thoughts on Devin White, Scott? Best middle linebacker in the draft. There you go. I mean, that, that was probably the smartest move they could have made outside of maybe taking Ed Oliver. But when you got Gerald McCoy and Vita Bay, you don't really need Ed Oliver. So they take Devin White. They put him behind McCoy and Bea, and who are going to easily keep him clean all the time. And they've got a guy in the middle who can run that entire defense like a drill sergeant and make it his defense and make it to where no one attacks his defense. So... I love it. I think it's a great move for them. Um, that alone makes their draft a positive yeah. in that they brought in a starting middle linebacker to replace Quan Alexander. Who's I think it's an upgrade, Scott. Upgrade on yeah. Quan Alexander. I was about to say, so that's exactly lose, what we've talked about you here. You lose him, but yeah, upgrade the hell out of him. So it's, you know, it's not that you lost him, it's that you, you didn't want to pay him, so you, and you knew you had the fifth overall pick, and you knew White was going to be there, so you just said, screw it, we're five. Yeah. We're going to take Devin White and have the NFC South have three of the four best middle linebackers in the league in three years when we've got White, Peakley, and Deion Jones. Yeah, to me, man, Devin White has the highest ceiling I've seen at the linebacker position in quite a long time entering the draft. Though I don't think he's as – Yeah, I mean, as since probably Keekley. But to me, man, Keekley walked in day one and was like, you know, 98 – 95% of the player he's going to be – Devin White's already an incredible football player, but I still think he's got an incredibly high ceiling. I think there's still room to improve. This is a guy who's only played the linebacker position full-time full for three seasons there at LSU, you know, a former running back in high school. So I think there's still uh, some room to grow here, believe it or not, which is scary. Um, I don't think he's necessarily day one as good as Roquan Smith, for example, from last year's draft. Um, but to me, Again, I think Devin White has the potential and the ceiling to be like a, a truly all-timer here at the linebacker position. So that's kind of my take on Devin White. Uh, your thoughts on Sean Bunting, uh, the cornerback there out of Central Michigan? Well, real quick, I'm going to give you my comp on Devin White from just watching him on film. Feed me. I thought he had potential to be the next Ray Lewis. Ooh. Just watching his film. That's tasty. That's Cause, tasty. Because he's, he's that good. Yeah, and he's about, he's about 25 pounds heavier than Ray Lewis was entering the league, too. I mean, Devin White walks around at 240 pounds. I'm pretty sure Ray Lewis coming out of Miami was like 225, 220 even. So, um, yeah, yeah, but I don't know if that – is there that dog in Ray Lewis? I mean, Ray Lewis kills the guy. <laughs> I mean, De- Devin, White, Devin White's not Ray Lewis in terms of that side of yeah. the off-the-field stuff. But the, but in, the, the X's and O's, the intangibles, pointing everything out, the being the leader. The intangibles on, on the field, is yeah. he that dog? Oh, yeah, easily. He's uh, easily that guy on the field. But off-the-field, nah, he's a teddy bear off-the-field. I, I but mean, that's what you want from your middle linebacker. You want a guy who's going to be like, oh, let's hug a baby when he's off the field. Yeah. 
You want him to get all his aggression out on the field. I was about to say clean then, in the streets, but mean in between the sidelines. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, Bunting, Bunting kind of profiled to me as more of that cover three kind of guy. Yeah. Where I don't think that Todd Bold is really a cover three kind of coach. No, nah, you, you definitely don't want to ask Sean Bunting to walk down and lock a guy up from the line of scrimmage. Um, but I don't think he has that ability. But not a man coverage kind of coach either. No. Bulls runs a lot of like mashup coverages and different kinds of coverages to just make your guys look better. Mm-hmm. I think the best comparison would be the red two that Alabama runs. Yeah. Because he runs it with faster, better athletes. Which, again, how do you have faster, better athletes than Alabama? You're in the NFL. That's the only way. <laughs> so, yeah, Todd Bowles runs the red two that, um, that Nick Saban runs, basically and runs a very similar defense to what Nick Saban runs. Because if you like go and you watch it shot for shot, you're like, this really is Nick Saban's defense. And it kind of hit me a couple weeks ago when I was watching the Bucks, or when I was watching the Jets, and I was like, he's really trying to run Nick Saban's defense, but with like way worse athletes comparatively than what Saban had. But then I was like, this year he's going to have JPP, Gerald McCoy, Vita Bea, Devin White. Oh, man, this is not going to be a fun defense to watch. Um... From the Falcons' perspective, um, Carlton Davis, solid fit for his defense last year's pick. Vernon Hargreaves should have a career resurgence under him. But Sean Bunting was a good pick. It could potentially steal that starting spot from Vernon Hargreaves. Yeah, they take two more DBs there in the third round with Jamel, <laughs> with Jamel Dean. No, you're good, man. Jamel Dean out of Auburn. Uh, again, man, ran a 4 3 at the combine, so he blows it up there. And then Mike Edwards, the safety out of Kentucky, who's Kind of the complete other end of the spectrum. You know, not a lot of people have heard about James Dean or Jamel Dean out of Auburn there until he ran that 4-3 at the Combine. Now, Mike Edwards, on the other hand, not ever going to be a guy that's going to blow up a Combine, but he had the career numbers and the career totals there and a total ball hawk in Kentucky with 10 career interceptions. So, two, you know, uh, a high-end, a high-ceiling pick there and kind of a, a safe floor pick there. And my favorite pick of the NFL draft, and it's not because of the positional value, it's just because of the team fit and because I love these two dudes and the fact that they're twins. It's Anthony Nelson, the defensive end out of Iowa, going to Tampa Bay of all people and being paired with Carl Nassib, his long-lost brother, man. Those guys look like twins. They fit exactly what he wants in a defensive end. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when he had Clay Campbell? Yeah. Those, those guys are playing that role. That tall, long... That big, guy. long, strong five-tech. That head-up-on-a-tackle yep. five-tech. That's their job. They're just mm-hmm. supposed to be big dudes who do all that crazy stuff. And, like, don't be shocked. I, to me, the Anthony Nelson pick said one thing. They're moving Noah Spence to that weak side linebacker role. Mm-hmm. Their interior guys are probably going to be Devin White and Levante David. And then Shaq Garrett's probably playing to stop that. So they're going to have a good mix of guys. And I realize that I'm basically talking about like they're going to have 12 guys on the field, but with how much Todd Bowles rotates his guys and changes up his schemes and he runs 4-3 and 3-4 and runs a little bit of everything, Bowles is a very smart, creative coordinator. He's mm-hmm. just not a head coach. Yeah, He's basically what Belichick was as a coordinator. He's just not a head coach. Um, and that's how highly I think of Todd Bowles. And he's not a personnel evaluator either. But that's why you have Bruce Harris. Bruce Arians is a personnel evaluator. All right, man, so, we're, we're an hour deep in this. I hate to cut you off, but let's get this draft grade 
and cut it out. We're having too much fun here on the NFL Mocks podcast, oh, my man. Um, let's give it a grade. I'll start it. I'll give it a B plus. Um, and to me, man, this is a team, you know, the draft strategies on, on NFL teams is very, very different. Uh, it's all, you know, team dependent. Some teams draft for need only. Some teams draft for position, you know, pick value only. Some teams like to combine both. Um, just the history or just the picks in this draft, it was very clear to me they were taking solely off need, not necessarily value at the pick. And I think they didn't necessarily reach at any of these picks and got, uh, you know, guys in positions that they need, uh, especially at the defensive backfield. Again, I don't think there was a pick where I looked up and was like, really, that guy right there, he, he was way lower on my board. Uh, at least that's my opinion. I mean, you can make fun of a kicker getting drafted there in the fifth round, but believe it or not, kickers were coming off the board for some freaking reason. Um, so it kind of makes sense. I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but it kind of makes it, sense. It never makes sense to take a no, kicker before it the never, fifth round. It never makes sense, but – um, you know, five, six, seventh round, the, the rules we've heard here in the scouting world that we're beat down in is that five, six, and seventh round, you're looking for a guy that can make an impact on special teams and who makes an impact more on special teams than the kicker. That's the only thing, only way I could defend it, Scott. Um, but either way, I'm giving it a B plus again because they drafted for positional need only. And again, I don't think they reached way too much on this draft. What are your thoughts? I don't think they really reached anywhere except for when they took a kicker and when they took Scott Miller. Yeah. Outside of those two guys, and again, if you piss away a fifth and a six-round pick every draft but you hit on everything else, mm-hmm. your job as a GM is very, very safe. So overall, I'm going to give it an A because I think they totally pissed away a fifth and a six-round pick. Unless Matt Gay becomes the next, like, Matt Bryant, they're basically screwed at kicker. Like, they're just accepting that they're screwed at kicker, and I think they're just trying to throw bodies at it and hope that one sticks. Which, as a Falcons fan, I saw our, I saw the team here do that for years. Mm-hmm. But I digress. They're just trying to make sure that they have a quality kicker and a somewhat slotty wide receiver to fit in and make sense for Jameis Winston. And I think the whole idea is use Scott Miller like he's Humphreys. And if you use him like he's Humphreys, you might be okay. All right, that is Scott Karasik. I hope I said it right that time. Um, Scott, where can guys find you? Where, where, where can we find you on social media? How can we get to your work, man? Pub yourself up. So you can find me at Karasik S. That's C-A-R-A-S-I-K-S. And uh, you can also find and that's on Twitter. You can also find me online at thefalconswire.com. Um, I do a lot of writing about off-season stuff in general. But I write throughout the season, just covering the team, going over depth charts, all that kind of stuff. So, all right, man. Up, I'm always on fuck football. No doubt, man. Scott, appreciate you again for joining us here on the NFL Mox Podcast, my man. You're welcome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.